Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is episode 24. In the non-adoptive world, where people only know of adoption but have not actually lived as part of an adoption story, there's often a romanticization of adoption. Adoption is often sentimentalized and treated as a happily ever after story, but anyone living inside of an adoption story knows that adoption is a really complex topic with multiple lifelong ramifications. There's no single adoption narrative. And while there is a growing body of work that focuses on transracial adoption and aims to amplify adoptees' voices, the unique perspective of Black adoptees and Black adoptive parents and Black birth parents is one that we don't hear much about. Dr. Samantha Coleman and Sandria Washington aim to change that. After years of friendship, Dr. Sam and Sandria both discovered as adults that they were adopted. Each quickly learned that Black adoption is an inaccurate conversation that often occurs through the voices of everybody except Black adoptees. They kept asking the question, if every birth has a story, why is no one telling ours? In 2019, Dr. Sam and Sandria partnered to create Black to the Beginning, an initiative to amplify the Black adoption conversation. Through videos, interviews, and social media connections using the hashtag Black and Adopted, Black to the Beginning aims to support, connect with, and amplify adoptees in the Black community. One thing I'll clarify before you get into the interview is that I was sitting in a room that got increasingly dark as we were talking, and I realized that in my new office, I did not have a lamp or a light. I usually work during the day, but we did our interview by Skype at night, and by the end of the call, they could barely see me. We had a good laugh about that at the end of the interview, so I just wanted to explain it so it makes sense when we get to that part of the conversation. I loved talking with Dr. Sam and Sandria, and I'm so excited about what they're doing with Black to the Beginning and the community they're serving with this resource, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. First, I just once again just want to say how grateful I am that you guys are are willing to share and to to shine some light on this wonderful work that you're doing. Um, I usually start my podcast asking the question, when did your life first intersect with the foster care system? But in this episode, our conversation is not about foster care, but about adoption and adoptive families, but specifically black adoptive families and black adoptees. So maybe a good place for us to start is for me to ask you to talk a little bit about your relationship with adoption. Sure. So interestingly enough, my relationship with adoption actually started out with my career. And I say that because my career focused around children and adolescents and working um, with those children who were adopted or in foster care. So it was very interesting (laughs) for me when I finally did find out that I was adopted, you know, at the age of 26, feeling like, wow, I've been working in a whole system and providing therapeutic services and and all these things that were for other people, right? But 
I was in that system. <laughs> like that's, that's part of it. So it's very um, jarring, right. To know that that's a part of, you know, your story as well and, and not even know it. So it's been a part of my professional terrain for a very long time. You were 26 when you found out that you were adopted. Do you, did you feel like something wasn't like, did it, I've talked with people who, when they found out they were adopted, suddenly a lot of things made sense about how they had felt. Would you say that was your experience as well? Absolutely. And I would think that other adoptees would say that you can't really put your finger on it. You just know that something is off, you know, aside from the obvious that you may not look like your parents, right? And when you're um, a child of color, like you can look at someone and you're really trying to find yourself, you know, in that person's face. Like you're looking around at the other family members to see where it is that you fit. Um, You will rationalize and tell yourself that, oh, okay, well, maybe I, I do look like my father or maybe I do, you know, look like, you know, my mother. But your personality is different. Your mannerisms are different. Just how you show up in the world and even amongst your family is different. And there's something always at the back of your head that you just don't fit. There just isn't any evidence of adoption or or anything else. You just kind of feel like the, the black sheep, if you will. But you definitely know. Well, there's so much we could lean into of just that whole story, but um, for the sake of of time on this episode, and I might like to ask you to come back in the future, because gosh, I have so many <laughs> questions for you. But um, but um, yeah, but that that so you found out at 26, and you were already working in the adoption world and the foster care world, and and that's just incredible. Um, how about you, Sandria? So. I never thought that I had a connection to adoption, uh, not personally, not professionally. Um, my my life growing up was pretty regular as far as I knew. Uh, up until about two years ago, I found out that I was adopted when I was 38. So <laughs> these last two years have just been a whirlwind of learning. Um, But to your previous question, you know, I feel like there was something in those 38 years of life where I just felt like I'm searching for something. I'm looking for something, um, but could never really put my finger on it. Um, I've always dealt with issues of insecurity and issues around belonging. Uh, I remember asking mom once. Uh, was I an accident because my brother and I are 10 years apart. And in my mind, when I was little, you know, I felt like, why would parents have another child, you know, 10 years later? You're in the home stretch. You were almost done. You know, why would you have another child 10 years later? Um, And to my mom's credit, you know, she answered honestly. And she's like, no, you weren't an accident, Uh, which, you know, was the truth. I was very placed in that family, but it was always something throughout my life where I felt like I was searching for something, but never knew what I was searching for up until two years ago. Wow. And then when I found, found it, 
it gave context to everything else, and it made sense. So you were saying that when you cut out a little bit, so I just want to um, just clarify oh, that you that's okay. You were saying that um, when your mom answered you, she said, no, you were not an accident, which was true, that you were very intentionally right. placed into their family, right. very much wanted. And, um, but you said that, that that put a lot of things into context for you. Is that what I heard you say? It's, yes. Okay. So yeah. Finding out that I was adopted, you know, it just made so many things make sense. Just yeah. how I felt internally, dealing with my family. So it, it was a surprise, but I wasn't surprised by it. Yeah. Oh, that's an, okay. That, that is, I've heard that sentiment a lot. It, it, it was a surprise when you found out, but it, but you weren't surprised because it kind of made things make sense. Yeah. Right. In the non-adoptive world, uh, where people only know of adoption but have not actually lived as part of an adoption story, there's often this romanticization of adoption. And adoption is often sentimentalized and treated as this happily ever after story. But anyone who's living inside of an adoption story, and I mean anybody from the adoptive parent or the birth parent or the you know adoptee themselves, they know that it's not as simple as that. And um, there's just this multiple lifelong ramifications. There's, there's not one single adoption narrative. And while there's a growing body of work that focuses on transracial adoption, which is how I came to you guys in the first place, um, which amplifies adoptees' voices, the perspective of black adoptees adopted into black families is one that we just do not hear a lot about. Um, how have you all seen adoption treated differently in the black community from your experiences? <laughs> well, <laughs> black adoption just simply isn't talked about. Sandra and I have consistent conversations around secrecy, how shameful it is to admit that, you know, you've adopted a child or even that you had to take in perhaps your own child's child, you know, mm -hmm. where, you know, the grandparents come into play. Mm -hmm. And so within the black community, it's really considered to be something that white people do, mm -hmm. particularly when you're talking about formal adoption or going through, you know, agencies. Um, we just don't talk about it, but it happens. Oh, so often, yeah. oh, so often. And um, I think it's also something that is a part of our history, our legacy. It's the resilience, you know, that we have, but at the same time are ashamed of it mm -hmm. all at the same time. Can you put language to why that is? I mean, um, obviously you've been thinking about this a lot. Is it... I mean, why is the secrecy and shame different in, in a different way? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I don't think there's, for as many different adoption stories that there are, there's that many reasons. The secrecy or the shame, it could be from the idea that or this narrative that black people don't give away their children. We take care of our own. 
So, you know, you see that with uh, elder care. You know, we take in our grandparents. We, we take in our seniors. So it works the same way with children where, you know, if you're pregnant, you you don't give up your child for adoption. You don't place your child for adoption. That's quote unquote, you know, that's what white people do. They, they adopt children or they place their children for adoption. But we we keep our own. So if you are a black mother or a black father and you find yourself in a situation where you're unable to keep your child, you might have some shame and and some fear around that. How do you explain that to your family? How do you explain that to your friends? Or if you're interested in adopting, you know, how do you talk about that with your girlfriends who are all getting married and starting their own families and, you know, for whatever reason, you're choosing to go the route of adoption. That's just not a normalized part of the conversation. So there could be fear and, and shame and stigma around that. But the reasons are are so varied. But I think we're conditioned as a community if something doesn't fall into the status quo, if it's not normalized, we don't really want to talk about it. You know, we want to just kind of push that to the background. So the same way that we may not talk about mental health, the same way we may not talk about substance abuse or any of any of the other things that are happening in our families that aren't pleasant to talk about. Um, those things just kind of get pushed to, to the back. Yeah. Yeah. You said earlier that this is just something that is not talked about. And the two of you are aiming to change that. Can you tell me about how you found each other and, and (laughs) how you decided to go public and make, you know, make a platform with, for this? So this is a, a long and a short story all at the same time, but Sandra and I have been friends for well over a decade at this point. We often try and pinpoint exactly when how and how we met. <laughs> um, I think it could have been MySpace, so that tells you how long ago oh it my was. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we think it was, you know, that long ago, but nonetheless, like as girlfriends, you know, we have had a friendship for quite some time now that has done nothing but strengthened and grown and developed, you know, over the years. And um, we are part of a group of girlfriends that we're super close to. It's our, you know, sister circle, um, if you will. And what happened is that at the age of 26, as we, I've all you know, stated, that I found out I was adopted, I essentially kept it to myself. You know, um, it was only discussed really between myself and my husband. And so I was going on this journey, you know, kind of solo or at least without girlfriends, right? And finally, when I was coming to like the pinnacle in my search and reunion process at the age of 36, so a whole decade um, later, I decided, I said, you know what, I'm going to start talking to my girlfriends, you know, about this. And so I began 
telling, you know, this group of girlfriends when I could catch them together. So it wasn't all at one WAP, but, you know, it was two people here, three people there, one person, you know, at a different time. And so essentially I told everybody and they got the opportunity to be a part of my, you know, reunion, you know, process as well. And, you know, that was in 2016. And we fast forward. Right. Fast forward. So even before the fast forward, so when Samantha tells me this story of her being adopted and everything that she's gone through, I mean, my jaw dropped because it, it was so out of the blue. Like, I had no idea she was going through this. I had no idea this was part of her story. So I'm just sitting, listening to her story like, you got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> this is not, are you serious right now? Are you serious? And it was the most incredible thing because, again, you know, how often do I hear adoption stories? You know, as far as I knew, I didn't really have a lot of friends who are adopted. So this was a complete surprise, complete shock. Oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to you. And then fast forward two years after that, and it becomes, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening to me. <laughs> you know, I, I never would have guessed that this is something we would have had in common. And so I reached out to my girlfriends right away, like literally the day that I found out. I'm texting everybody that next day, like, y'all are not going to believe this. Wait till I tell you. And so Samantha, you know, our group of girlfriends that go, that, that was my core group of friends that found out even before some of my uh, adoptive family, extended adoptive family, you know, like I told my girlfriends first because I just wanted I needed that support. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One, you know, like it was so unbelievable to me. And I just had to tell other people who could understand the weight yeah. of how unbelievable it was. Yeah. yeah. So wow. once we realized that we had that in common, you know, we ended up coming together and just, you know, we would have these conversations back and forth because of all of our friends we're pretty much the only two that have this in common. Um, and so we would have our private conversations and we would talk about what it feels like to find out later in life. What, what does it feel like to, you know, have this revealed and just grow up being adopted without even knowing it. And so we would have these private conversations. And then at some point it became, we need to have this conversation publicly you know, we're not the only two people who are going through this. We're not the only two black and adopted people, which at the time, that's what it felt like. It felt like we were on this island by ourselves and could not find other black adopted people who are also adopted into black families. And, and that's really where it started. Yeah. Yeah, because it is, uh, you know, finding other adoptees or adopted people is great because you do share something in common, but it would be a different togetherness if it was a right. transracial adoptee or where they're like trying to wrestle with, 
you know, both all of the baggage of, of being adopted and all of the things, the questions and the unknowns, but also then trying to find their place in the world, you know, in a, in a white or a whatever, I mean, family it is. So that's, it's, it, there's something about just being able to look at yeah. each other and saying, yeah. me too. And, and that me was too, critically you know? important for us because even in finding out about my own adoption, one of the first things that I did was go to social media to try and find other black adopted people And unfortunately, most of the conversation was really around transracial adoption, which I couldn't really relate to. So, you know, for nearly, you know, two years, just kind of out here looking for other people. And then finally, we had to create the platform that we were looking for. I love it. I love that you did that. So what does Black to the Beginning exist to do? What, what is this platform? So we are really here just to make sure that we're amplifying the voices of Black adoptees and the Black family. Um, I say both of those things because, again, when we talk about those aspects of, you know, the secrecy, the stigma, the shame, like that tends to be associated with a lot of the things that Sandria spoke about earlier that we tend to shy away from. And Black people in particular won't acknowledge just how close adoption is to them. So different perhaps from other cultures, you know, we adopt our, you know, grandchildren. So, you know, the grandmother does end up being the mother figure, you know, you have, you know, someone who's walking in the midst of you, um, as your play aunt, right. Um, and this person comes in and they take on the role of that caregiver. And so for us, it's important to, acknowledge the black family, all of the things that we go through that are no different from anybody else, right? Because everybody has, you know, things that they go through. But to get people to realize, like, adoption is right right next to you. There's no six degrees of separation, right? There's just really, there's one, <laughs> you know. Uh, right. You know somebody yeah. that is going through this. And yeah. We want to have those conversations so people can get to a place of healing to just rip the Band-Aid, talk about it, and move forward so that there aren't generations of people who are just still out here searching, trying to, you know, um, find their identity, growing up with, you know, issues that can be resolved with a simple conversation. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the stories that you have come into contact with since starting this platform? Who are you hearing from? And what are some of your favorite um, stories of people you've connected with since starting this? So one thing that's been really, really interesting for me is that since finding out that I'm adopted, I literally cannot go anywhere without meeting another Black adopted person. Um, I could be in a coffee shop. I could be in the airport and I'll just strike up a random conversation. And somehow it comes out, you know, I share my story. I'm adopted. And they'll turn to me and say, me too. And it's the most random thing, but it is the most gratifying thing because that's how that's how common it is there are so many black 
adoptees literally in our circle. Um, so whether it's strangers, you know, we're, we're based here in Chicago. So whether I'm here in Chicago or even in our friendship circle, those are the stories that are the most amazing to me because they were so close to home and we just never knew. We never Mm -hmm. talked about it, you know, but online, I mean, we've heard some incredible stories and we've been able to connect with people like Dr. Christine Belliard, who does uh, the Fat Moms, and you have Jay, who does I Am Adopted, and people who've already been having adopt- adoption-related conversations. Uh, we're kind of the new kids on the mm-hmm. block, um, but every mm-hmm. story is just, not even just Black adoptees. I, I sat down with a Black birth mother Um, A friend of mine, her mom was also a birth mother who placed a child for adoption. And her story was so powerful and incredible. And you never really hear from, well, you never really hear from birth mothers a lot anyway, but a black birth Mm -hmm. mother, like it was just incredible. And just to hear it from her vantage point and to hear the things that are still painful for her and the trauma and how she wants to reconcile and really build this relationship with um, her daughter. Like that for me was just really, I know that her story isn't unique. Um, I know that there are so many other women who have similar types of stories, but we never hear them. So we're hoping that, you know, through Black to the Beginning, those are the types of stories that we can tell to let people know, like, hey, Black adoption is a real thing. Um, Black adoptive parents exist. Black adoptees exist. Black birth mothers and fathers exist. Um, But you just have to hear those stories over and over. You have to hear it more for it to become a normal part of conversation. Yeah, there's something about taking the stigmas down. When you bring things into the light, you sort of get things out in the open and draw attention to it and say, this is not so unusual. It's not, you know, and I think that the reason we kind of all, yeah. she's adopted, yeah. you know, like the whispering, right? Um, we have and we to need stop to stop it. that, you know, for, for everyone, we have to stop it. Yeah, to remove the stigmas and, and uh, the secrecy and the shame yeah. and, and all of that. Um, I, this is kind of a personal question, and this is probably based on my own experiences being a public speaker about foster parenting and adoption from the adoptive parent's perspective. There are times when I feel this profound tension between um, wanting to serve others by sharing and getting these stories out there and wishing that I could just take my whole story mm-hmm. offline and just sort of go back into my... Do you ever find yourselves feeling torn about being so public about your story. And I think part of it for me is that in telling my foster parenting story, I am inevitably touching on my own children's stories, which are theirs to tell. Um, Do you ever feel a tension in sharing your story for any reason, maybe because it involves other people or anything like that? I personally 
don't, and this is, and Sandra knows this just like as being my friend, <laughs> I am a very private person. So the only person that's going to know anything about me is who I want to know. And it's going to be my close circle. So for me to put like my business out in the streets, right? Like that <laughs> is unheard of, you know, for me, but I do feel very comfortable in doing so. Mm-hmm. I would say what's been, um, more emotional, for for me in this public view, if you will, is more so either one, hearing other people's stories, or two, almost coming to a place of conflict about how to feel about adoption. Because you have some people who are very pro-adoption, some who are like, absolutely not. This is baby trafficking. This is, and it puts you in a space where it's like, huh. You know, so it's like you gain a perspective on it, but then sometimes I find myself like, wow, like what was it that rough? You know, like where where do people's um, worldview come from? And I know that it comes from their own personal experience. I begin Mm -hmm. to really think about all the different ways my adoption story could have been completely different and might have shifted my view, you know, in, in the way that some of like the other platforms come across. So for me, this has really been also about learning. And as you stated earlier, like this is not all rainbows and and sunshine, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's serious loss, it's serious trauma. And then on top of that, you know, some people don't come into, you know, families that have provided a loving foundation or, you know, what have you, it's, you know, continuous Mm -hmm. traumatization. So I, for me, I don't care about sharing my story as many people I can touch and help with it. I'll tell it again and again, but I'm really just trying to, to really learn and understand and grow and develop from this platform to Mm -hmm. be able to provide people Mm -hmm. with, with what they need. Yeah. And I think I would add to that. um, I think both of us have just been really mindful about how and when we share. Um, Like for me, I connected with a birth sister a month after finding out that I was adopted. And I didn't really talk about that. Like I told my close friends, but I didn't really share that piece publicly until months later, you know, where I posted a picture of her and I together and everybody was just like, oh my God, who is this woman who looks just like you? Um, So just kind of sharing information um, at the time that I felt most appropriate, but I knew from the beginning that I wanted to be vocal because I felt like this part of my life had been secret for so long and I'm not going to be the one to continue to hold that, that silence, that shame, you know, I, the change starts with me. So, you know, I'm going to be, be as vocal as possible. And I've only seen the benefits of doing that. Yeah. Um, so many other people have texted or they've sent 
DMs or, you know, have mentioned to me in person how my story has helped them or they're inspired by it or they're inspired to go search for their family or to reconcile with a stepsister. You know, maybe it's not adoption, but they want to reconcile with someone else in their family. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think as, you know, Samantha and I continue to share, we're only empowering other people. We're, we're empowering ourselves and we're healing ourselves, but we're also empowering other people to just have conversations, whether it's about adoption or not, have yeah. conversations in your family. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we're just going to be even more bold going forward. Like how much more bold can we be? You know, does it, you know, does it look like film? Does it look like TV? Does it look like books? Does it look like meetups? Like, how much louder yes. can we amplify this conversation? That's that's what we want to do. That's so great. And in doing this, you're giving permission. And I think a lot of times when people hear people sharing their stories, suddenly they feel permission to be more open and more bold and all mm -hmm. of that. So it's so wonderful. Um, You've touched on openness a few times in the conversation already, and I would love to ask you more about openness in adoption. Well, you've already sort of answered this, but how have you seen openness um, treated specifically in the, the, the black adoption world? You've kind of already talked about it, but I'm curious, since you have started your own searches or done your own reunions, how has it been received? How has it been treated? Well, it's funny. So when we launched Black to the Beginning publicly, which was only, what, two months ago, um, the response was so favorable and positive. So, you know, from friends and family, from strangers, everybody was excited about this conversation coming to the forefront. Like, yeah. finally, somebody is talking about Black adoption. So I think from that standpoint, the openness was well received, but on the back end, there's still a challenge in getting other people to kind of share their stories publicly um, or even just to acknowledge being black and adopted publicly. Mm -hmm. um, when I search the hashtag, you don't really see a lot of people using that hashtag so just trying to find out where, where's the disconnect? Everybody's excited about the conversation and they're excited that we're mm -hmm. <laughs> having this conversation, that we've started this conversation, mm -hmm. but it's still taking time for it to translate into, hey, you can be part of this conversation. You know, you can share your story. You can you know, use the hashtag black and adopted. Um, so I think openness from that standpoint, that's going to take a little bit more time. Um, but you know, we're, we're chipping away at it. We're, we're leading by example. I think mm -hmm. that's the best way to describe it. Like as we're open, that can empower other people to want to be open as well. But People are excited that the conversation is happening. We just need more people to join the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And how are people finding you mainly through social media? 
Yes. So we are primarily right now on Instagram as well as Facebook. And whenever we are doing our own interviews, we're also uploading through our YouTube channel as well. So Mm -hmm. those are the three primary ways of being able to contact us at this point. And so mainly what you're doing is hosting conversations and sharing them. Um, what What do you envision for this like going forward? Mm. <laughs> That's the juicy question, Sam. You can go ahead. <laughs> so um, Sandra talked, the, you know, touched on it um, a little bit, mm-hmm. but we definitely are in the bat cave right now, um, <laughs> getting ready for our own podcast um, to launch. But I think what's been very critical for us is to really find our tribe, determine what it is that they need and let them guide us. So we can come up with any number of ideas of, you know, what we can be doing next, you know, so the meetups, a book, retreats, you know, any of those things, right? But we want to hear from this particular group of people, you know? So if we have a group of black birth mothers, what do you need? Yes. You know, it may extend past um, listening to one of our podcasts. It might be, we need to have a standing weekly, you know, group chat of, you know, some sort. We need to be bringing in professionals. We need to really be focusing on our partnerships because I think what's also important in this conversation And even in our own individual platforms is that this is not work that you can do in a silo at all. Like it really requires, you know, partnership and listening to your audience. And so, you know, while we have a great number of ideas, we'll definitely start first with um, our podcast and making sure that those stories are being heard Mm -hmm. and being um, unpacked. as well and really getting down to the root of black adoption its impact on black families um and going from there yeah just see what happens yeah that's great there's something so um amazing about how social media i've I've been in a couple of conversations recently where uh, we've been talking specifically about Um, why suddenly white people are getting on board with Black Lives Matter and with a lot of other things. There's just like this, several people, I know NPR did something on why now white people. And then I was actually on a podcast or an interview. Why now? You know, and, and I think there's something I was saying, I think there's something about being able to listen in on social media, on a podcast or on a, you know, YouTube or something where you're able to get educated without the threat of, um, feeling like you're in the room, you're kind of like a fly on the wall. You get to observe, Mm -hmm. kind of be a voyeur in a sense and listen without feeling exposed and without feeling vulnerable. And I think that offering that is going to be a great starting point for people who may be not ready to stand up and hashtag, or they may not be ready to post a hashtag black and adopted, but they Mm -hmm. want to be hearing about other people's experiences. So I think you're going to definitely find, as you said, your tribe through this. And I'm excited to see that grow. 
Um, whenever I have adults who are adopted uh, on my podcast, I love to ask them, what would you like to say to my audience, which is predominantly foster parents and or adoptive parents, what do you want us to do differently? What should we do differently from what you've seen? One thing that comes to mind for me, um, I always think about how transparency is everything. Just be very transparent. Um, and I recognize that that might be a little bit easier if you're in a situation where it's transracial because, you know, the transparency is evident. Right it's everywhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in those instances where it's not, I think it's just being open and honest about, you know, how this relationship came to be, how this family came to be, um, being so supportive, knowing that your child is going to need some type of resource, um, some type of support. And that could look like any number of things. Um, it could be, you know, whether that is mental health support, whether that is um, resources around exploring different cultures, exploring their culture, um, putting them in situations where they are made to feel comfortable and made to feel like they fit, like they belong. So really getting to know that child and know, you know, what interests them, what, you know, and of course this will be the same advice for any parent, but I think it becomes even more paramount if you're dealing with an adoptee or you're dealing with a foster child, like you want to just help them to solidify their sense of self. And as an adult adoptee who found out later in life, I feel like that's one of the things that I really missed, just those opportunities to um, solidify my sense of self and not always have this feeling of searching and trying to belong and connect. And I think those things are fostered early in life. You know, you really have to start that as young as possible. So that's what I would want to share with parents, um, just to really support your child in those ways. I would also say, too, that when looking at your child, you definitely want to relish, right, like in their childhood, but to always keep at the forefront that this child grows up, that they are going to not just solely be the child anymore, but ideally they're your friends. Okay. Like once they're adults, they're, they're your, your child and your friend. And that when they get to a place or everybody is at a place of deeper understanding that you can have conversations that are very mature and adult and you can be honest about, you know, what went on and to give the child their story because 
they deserve it. It is owed to them. And to deny them, you know, uh, their story or an explanation or even just a listening ear about their feelings and what they've experienced is very detrimental and will keep that adult child constantly in a state of still trying to like fill in the blank or um, understand like what's the question mark here. And um, I just think it's important because a child may never get the opportunity to connect back with a biological parent. Like it it may happen, it, it may not. So you're dependent upon that adoptive parent to give that information, to, to bring some, some closure, you know, to it, if at all possible. And even though it may feel sometimes, particularly for, you know, a foster parent or, you know, um, adoptive parents who have told their children younger that they're adopted, that there's a, a wedge, you know, in between them, right? Like, that child, at least I know Sandy and I have talked about this at the end of the day, like we view our adoptive parents as our parents. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to be, we want to know the story of the biological people, not as a replacement, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but as our birthright to know where we came from. Yeah. But we still love you. Yeah. We respect who raised us and your family Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. You know, but to to understand that and walk alongside us as we try and fill in that blank. That's that's all we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I I always emphasize that we adoptive parents need to really develop um, and commit ourselves to the decision to make room for all parties in our family, you know, in our life and to not let ourselves be, you know, let our feelings of feeling threatened make the decisions. You know what I mean? So it's a, I can't emphasize it enough. And I'm saying this really for the benefit of anyone listening who is planning to adopt or is a foster parent that, you know, the more we can give our kids of their story, it only enriches their lives. It doesn't threaten us in any way. And, um, so I appreciate you guys so much and I'm so excited for what you're doing. And, um, I missed that it's only been two months. I just, it seemed from the things I've seen on your Facebook and everything, I thought it had been going on a much longer. So I feel like I've gotten in on something really early. <laughs> I'm not usually the first to know about something. So <laughs> this is awesome. And I'm sorry. I got so dark in here. I, we just moved into this house and I don't have a lamp in my office yet. And, um, it has gotten dark. This is right off of my bedroom. And, um, and I'm sitting here going, Oh, at some point, I'm just going to disappear altogether Um, and note to self. I really, I'm never in here at night. So I just didn't even realize this was going to happen. I have definitely not been the most professional interviewer that you're going to encounter, but I'm definitely among the most grateful. So thank you so much. This has been awesome. This has been amazing. Well, cool. Well, if there's anything more that I can do to draw attention to what you're doing or support you guys in any way, don't hesitate to ever reach out. I'm excited for you. 
I think it's incredible that you have taken this experience and are holding it out to, sh to for other people and serving other people. I, I just think it's wonderful. So um, anyway, before I completely disappear, because <laughs> I'm like, you can't see me back here. I'm getting closer and closer to my computer just so that you know I'm still here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, thanks again so much. Thank, thank you, Christine. Thank you. We appreciate it. You've been listening to my conversation with Dr. Samantha Coleman and Sandria Washington, co-founders of Black to the Beginning. You can find them on Facebook as well as Instagram using the hashtag Black and Adopted. If you like a Fostered Life podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you access your favorite podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And if you are enjoying this resource, please consider becoming a patron of A Fostered Life at patreon.com slash a fostered life. For more information and resources for foster parents, visit afosteredlife.com, where you'll find blog posts, recommended reading, YouTube videos, and social media links, all designed to help foster parents feel more equipped for their foster care journey. If you're a foster parent who's feeling like you're out there on your own, consider joining the Flourishing Foster Parent, a community designed to encourage, equip, and connect foster parents. You can find info on the Flourishing Foster Parent at afosteredlife.com FFP. It's my prayer that no foster parent ever feels like they're going at it alone. One more thing. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate A Fostered Life on iTunes. It would help me out so much. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring about foster care.